Well, I want to talk today about what it means to share our faith. What it means to believe in something enough to think that it would help someone else. Because that's what I think sharing your faith is. If you make this into legalism where you have this quota, where you have to go out witnessing, and you've got to put a notch in your gun, you have missed completely what the gospel is. This isn't about just doing good works to try to save people. This is about believing in God to such a level that you want other people to experience what you have experienced. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to shoot really straight with you today, multiple times. As a kid, a teenager, my first experience with kind of the let's go knock on doors, door to door, they said, we're going to meet on Saturday at the church and we're going to put you into neighborhoods. And they gave us some questions to ask. And it was basically, is there anything that we can pray with you about? Uh, do you know, have you heard about Jesus? And try to get a conversation to, to have a prayer with them. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. I mean, I was scared to death. Uh, we had no results. Zero. I don't even think God was with us. And, and it was just lonely. Like, we came back to the church to celebrate, and I had nothing to celebrate. I literally, I can remember as a kid going, if this is what Christians have to do, I'm, I don't want to be one. That's how, that's how differently wired I am than that. Because my life's all about authentic relationships. And some of you, you can knock on someone's door and have a friend in 30 seconds. There's just a gift that you have. So I'm not bashing door-to-door evangelism. Sometimes it's effective. But for me, it isn't. And I don't like doing it. It's not my way of, of trying to share my faith with people. So I want us today to just open it up in our hearts and say, let's look at several methods, several things. But how many of you would agree with me right now? It's important that we find effective ways to share our faith. So that's the bottom line. And I'm going to give you some ideas today from Paul. Paul was a great guy. He, he, he constantly preached every city he went. He planted churches. But he had a radical conversion. So in the, in the outline in the back of the program, follow along and write this down to start with. Number one, we must know him. Capital H, God. If we're going to share our faith about God then I think it's essential that we know God and we know what we believe about God and we know what has happened to us from God. Paul was on his way to Damascus when a light out of heaven knocked him to the ground, blinded him for three days, and then God healed him. His life was completely transformed. He had been persecuting Christians, taking them off to jail, and now he becomes an evangelist planting churches and God uses him mightily. Paul knows the power of God, and Paul knows God. That's why he can now so effectively share about God. Acts 17, if you have a Bible, just lay it open, follow along. This is a powerful story, one of my favorite stories about sharing your faith. I'm going to read with starting with verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, just stop right there. I want you to mentally capture that phrase. I'm going to say it again. Because I want to come back to it in a second. And I want you to remember it. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Who's he waiting for? Anybody know? Timothy and Silas. They got, they got hung up in Berea with a problem. And so they were going to do ministry together. But while he's waiting for them, here we go. He was deeply troubled 
by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. This is Athens. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily in the public square to all who, what? Happened. Happened to be there. Paul was not setting up his daytimer or his, uh, his, his smartphone with a two o'clock appointment with a specific person. Paul is doing what Paul just does. Naturally. He goes to the synagogue. He talks about God. He's into philosophy. He's into debate. He's into talking about things. He's into relationships. Paul just starts doing what he does while he's waiting. You know, I, the other, it's been on, it's been maybe a month ago. I was looking for something, a technical thing for our house. And um, I went to the store where they, they carried these because I had kind of searched it online and tried to read a bunch of stuff about it so I wasn't a total idiot <laughs> when I was trying to buy this. And when I got there, the person who was the salesperson, within two minutes realized I knew more about this product than they did. And they just stopped and said, you know what, obviously I don't know anything about this product, so let me go get someone who does. And I was pleased with that. I said, hey, I didn't know until I just started reading and boy, the person that they brought to me knew everything about it. And it was so nice to talk to someone who was literally using this product and knew all about it. Don't you think that if we are going to sell this product, and I don't mean to diminish it by saying it that way, but if we're going to represent God, if we're going to try to share our faith with people, that we really know all about it. That's why I encourage you to be a learner. You know, get some education. Well, I really don't know what I believe. Well... Don't blame other people for that. Dig in there. Find out why you believe about God. Let your faith walk. Get some education. All of you have an intellect. All of you have a brain given to you by God. Now, granted, I will say I have seen people who really educate themselves. I've met a few who are educated way beyond their level of intelligence. <laughs> Anybody know somebody like that? Don't look at them or anything, but just there's a few out there. Paul was moved by these idols. He saw all these idols and he had this moment of, of going, wow, this is not okay. He has this, uh, this, this idea that these idols are not the one true God. An idol, I looked it up in the dictionary. It, it said about what I thought. An image or representation of a God, small g, as an object of worship. But then there was another definition. It said this, a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered is an idol. That's telling me that it is possible for us to have idols in our lives that are people, things, material things, or stuff other than a little clay piece that's molded into some form. Does our culture that we live in have idols? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of them. I started just listening. I, I thought social media, um, there are people that just cannot, they just cannot have five minutes of solitude without looking at what's going on in their social media world. Food can be an idol. Entertainment can be an idol. When I think of the money that is spent on entertainment, sports, I mean, it's crazy. And the time and the energy. Uh, I think of sexuality, how... That can be an idol for so many people. I think of just material things. I Believe it or not, we've, we've had counseling sessions with people here that are addicted to online shopping. Where they just can't, they just see, they just 
want, there's something that makes him feel good about purchasing something. And I just go, it can happen to any of us. So let's, let's make sure that we don't have any other idols. Let's serve God. So Paul sees all this. All this is happening. Let's go to number two. We must know them, meaning the people. We're not just going to have to know God who we're talking about, who we want to share about, but we're going to need to know our audience. I'm going to, I'm going to be more effective if I know you in sharing my faith. And so think about this in verse 18. Because in verse 18, we see what Paul did next. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And this was a big deal because this was the mainstays of Athens. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Paul was not afraid to appear like a fool to those who had never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an important point. But he knew that God was real because of personal testimony that had happened in his life. Athens at this time, at this time that, that Luke is writing this, this letter called Acts and these, uh, these stories, Athens was called, quote, the intellectual capital of the world. People, philosophers from all over the then known world would come to Athens to just sit and talk and visit and debate and pass along new thoughts. It was just a big thing that they did. And the Stoics, they followed someone named Zeno uh, before Christ. They were pantheistic in nature. And they basically had a couple concepts. They felt that man's responsibility on the earth was whether highly successful or complete failure. Whether they're destroyed by fire or flood or whether nothing bad ever happens to them, it all boils down to fate. And how you handle fate is how you're going to be in life, how, how, good, how well you're going to adjust in life. So what happened is people who were Stoics were people who were absolutely self-sufficient. No matter what happened to them, you couldn't move them. Well, this was supposed to happen and I can deal with it. I have the tools to make this better, and I'm going to do it. And so there's the self-sufficiency and pride. Arrogance really followed the Stoics. The Epicureans followed this guy named Epicurus. And this was about 345 B.C. And he taught kind of a similar thing, but a little bit different. He taught that the chief end of all man was pleasure and happiness. Sound fun? Pleasure and happiness. Now, now here's the deal. When I first was studying this, I thought, oh, great. It's going to be one of those. Everything goes. He actually had a pretty good code. There's four things that he said will bring you pleasure and happiness. And it's probably not what you might expect. It was by avoiding excesses of all things, by avoiding the fear of death, by seeking tranquility and freedom from pain, and by loving mankind. That's a pretty good list when you think about it. But here was the problem with the Epicureans. They believed that if, in fact, gods, little g, existed, and they were very polytheistic, many, many gods, hundreds, thousands of gods, if God really, gods really existed, they would absolutely have nothing to do with mankind. There would be no interaction. So what happens is you have these Stoics who are arrogant-driven and very proud, and then you have these these Epicureans who are seeking pleasure 
and what feels right to them and what satisfies them. So you've got a whole culture. The Athenians, those are the two things. Pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, seeking pleasure and well-being. Think about the culture. Does that sound familiar to our world today? It really does when you think about it. Paul knew their language. As a matter of fact, if you read on down, I'm not going to read all of it. If you read on down, you will find a little place where it says that he quoted one of their well-known poets. And I love this because I want you to think about the bridge that he is building. Epimenides is the name of a famous poet in that region. And he says, your poet says, in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. What just happened? Everyone in this place went, oh, this is an educated man. He knows about our poets. He, he, and then he quotes Arateus, another poet, when he talks about we are his offspring. So what, what is he doing? He's using intellect to build a bridge to let them know that what he says can be trusted. And that's a good rule for us to think about how we present the Lord. I think it's powerful when a scientist who is a believer can, can bring the message of truth about Jesus to another scientist. Because they have more in common than someone who hates science and a scientist. So God uses all of us in different spheres. We're going to have to be stretched in order to make a difference. Now, number three in your outline, timing. We must know when. You can know God and you can know your audience. You can have a friend. But if you miss the timing of presenting your faith or sharing the gospel, you can do more damage than good. I want to say another crazy thing. And I don't think this will offend you. I think you'll agree with it. But I've seen overzealous Christians that just try to turn every, Christ, every conversation into something about the Lord. And all it does is harden the heart of the non-believer. It just makes them mad. They don't want anything to do with it. Anybody met someone like that? They're just angry because Christians are trying to cram this down my throat. If my mom talks to me one more time about this, and it's not helping. It's not building a bridge. And so we have to be really careful. So let's talk about verse 19. Then they took him to the high council of the city. i got to remind you. This is the place where it all happens. He starts in the synagogue. Then he has this debate. And he's doing all of this while he is waiting for Timothy and Saul. All of this is happening while he's waiting. That's crazy. So they take him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some of the strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Of course they did. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us, parentheses, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. They love to talk. They love to chat. They love these forums. They love these rooms where everything goes. And way back in verse 16, all this so far has happened while Paul is waiting. It poses a question. What do you do while you wait? Let's try it. I don't like to wait. Especially when I get behind some of you who drive under the speed limit. <laughs> it is just annoying. <laughs> I, I don't use my time well when I wait. I just don't. And I know I don't. And I'm, I'm really convicted. I'm confessing. It's good for the soul. 
that I have wasted some of my waiting time because I don't think I'm looking for any opportunities like this. When I read all this and I think, you know, Paul was just waiting, but he goes to the synagogue, has a debate, goes to the high count. There's a whole mission happening, and Silas and Timothy aren't even there. He could have just checked into the room and turned on Sports Channel and, you know, done something good. Uh, but, no, I, I look at this and I go, God, what, where am I waiting in my life? Some of you are waiting right now. You don't have an answer. You don't know what to do next. You're waiting on someone else. Listen, your life can be the most fruitful while you are waiting. Let God show you that. Use that time and, and spend it well. This all happened while he was waiting. I, uh, he started walking around the city. You know what he did? He became a tourist. He said, well, they're not here yet. So I'm just going to go hang out. He starts walking through the city. Then he sees all these idols and he's troubled by it. Here, here's some of the questions that I ask when I'm, when I'm feeling like I'm prompted to share my faith with someone or tell the story or introduce Jesus to a conversation. So these are just kind of for me, but I just want to share a few of them with you. I ask these questions. First of all, in this conversation I'm having right now, is this a natural conversation? Or, or am I forcing something? Is there an openness? Is there listening that's taking place? Is it mutual? Or do they just want me to be quiet so they can leave now? You know, you know how you can kind of tell in a conversation, is this truly a natural conversation? And then another question I always ask is, am I crossing any lines that show disrespect to this person by what I'm saying? Am I crossing any lines? Let me give you an example. I saw this firsthand. It's been a while back. I was in a grocery store. And I saw a pretty zealous Christian who had a employee of the grocery store over in the fruits and vegetables section somewhere where they were packing. They were filling up the stuff that was needed to be filled up. And they basically had them kind of cornered there. And I saw them take out their Bible and say, this is what the Bible says about eternity. And you really need to hear this because this matters. And I was just thinking, oh, man. And I saw this poor employee trying not to be rude trying to listen, and I thought to myself, I wonder if there's a manager somewhere watching out one of those windows, and they're thinking, I'm paying somebody, <laughs> we're paying someone to do their job, and this overzealous Christian has them cornered and won't let them off the ropes. You know what I'm saying by that? You know, if someone has a job, wouldn't you think we would, we would be considerate enough to let them do their job while they're being paid to do their job? I know there can be a seed planted in that moment, acts of kindness, things like that. But I really think it's important to say, is there anything that's showing disrespect for this person, their culture, their life, their family, their time clock? Is it showing disrespect? I, am I living out what I'm saying? That's another question that I ask. Do I have credibility with this person? You know, if you've been the boss for 20 years and, and, and you have an anger problem and you've fired 10 people and people know when you're angry... It's probably not going to be effective when you pull that employee in and say, let me tell you how you can have peace in your life. <laughs> They're going to go, you? You know, it's like when you're coming down Timberline to church and someone passes you and they're ripping in and out of traffic and all this stuff is happening and you're going, wow, they must be going 60. And all of a sudden they pull in at Timberline. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I, I don't want the Jesus they have. That wasn't kind. 
It's just, it's just a challenge to say hypocrisy is such a culprit. We all have some hypocrisy in us. We all do. Because we're trying to let Jesus be the Lord of our lives. But we live on this earth. Okay? So we all have some of it. But just be aware that that's a great way to lose the kind of witnessing power that you have to help others. Will I, this is my last one under this, will I be a good listener? That's just a question I ask because sometimes Christians do all the talking and I would just encourage you, this is so practical, but that's what sermons are, in my opinion, they should be. Why don't you, why don't you find really good lead questions when you're talking about spiritual things with somebody and let them talk and you just keep them talking? Are, are you a person of faith? Well, I sort of am, this and that and that. What led you to believe that? Well, when I was a little kid, where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up. And suddenly what you're doing is you're opening their heart and their life into friendship and relationship and trust can be established and you're going to find some common ground there. I'm not talking about deceiving anybody or being manipulative. I'm talking about being honestly interested in their life. If we can do that as believers, um, we will really be successful and then not being afraid to be really troubled by what you see. I read it earlier when it said Paul saw all these idols and, he, and it says he was deeply troubled. That's a parakzuno. That's an, an interesting Greek word which literally means to exasperate or easily provoke or to stir up the spirit. And I got to tell you, I want us as a church to have moments when the old word, the unction of the Spirit, stirs our hearts. There are certain things that I, when I read in our community, man, when I open the paper and I read that a teenager committed suicide, man, it just pulls me out of my chair. Literally sometimes. I'm like, Bonnie, come here. You've got to see this. is re- What happened here? I think about these kids and the life they have ahead and what kind of despair can you have? You know, half of them, it's at 14 years old or under. It's the second, I just was told after the last service, it's like the second leading cause of teenage death around here. And I I just, that stirs me. Like inside, I go, okay, battle, on, bring it. We're going to fight these demons. We got, we got work to do. We got to pray over this community. We've got to trust God. Why? Because it's spiritual, the world we live in. It's spiritual. There's an enemy that wants to take our kids out. There's an enemy that wants to confuse the minds of people so that they have no right mindedness at all. And we as a church need to pray over that, combat that, have ministries to attack it, and help parents and help people equip our kids so that doesn't happen again. See, I'm stirred up right now. Wow. What troubles you about the community you live in? What troubles you? What makes your spirit turn, your stomach go into a knot, and you say, this is not okay, I'm doing something about it. And you let God give you a plan. Number four, we must know how. You know, when you know God and you know the people you're ministering to and you pick the right timing, this is brilliant what Paul does here. This is one of my favorite moments in Scripture because he is so clever in the best sense of that word to use what is already in Athens. I'm going to read it. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I notice that you are very religious in every way. And by the way, 
They really liked that. They're, you could hear it across the room going, he knows us. We like him. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. Quote, to an unknown God. Why was that altar there? Because the Athenians wanted to get every God possible, make a shrine or an altar to every God possible. So they said, in case we're forgetting one, let's just make one to the unknown God that we haven't heard about yet. Paul picks up on this. He says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about now. Jesus. How good is that? Now that's building a bridge to a culture that is going to trust you because you're using stuff in their backyard to illustrate what they already believe. They just don't have more knowledge about it yet. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is the Lord of heaven of earth, He doesn't live in a man-made temple, which was huge for them. Human hands can't serve His needs. He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath and everything, and He satisfies every need. From one man, He created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when, he, when they should rise and fall, He determined their boundaries, and He goes on and on and on. And they're just going, oh, we already have this God in Athens? Wow, we just didn't know this information. And they actually have some converts because how Paul builds a bridge to them, has relationship with them, uses knowledge, uses discernment and pays attention to detail with who he's talking to. These guys were pretty open. They were liberals, but they were open. I, I'm fascinated by people who claim to be liberals. I, I have a friend who I've had conversations multiple times, but I remember a couple of years ago I thought I'd push the button just a little bit. And, um, and I said, you know, you're so open about everything. And he said, oh yeah, I am. And it's like all, everything goes, sexuality, there's no moral line, there's and I said, you know, I'd love to just talk to you about, like, the claims of Jesus and just, just explore what you think. He said, oh, no, I don't talk about that. I said, why not? He said, I just don't talk about that. Isn't it amazing how really open people are not open to stuff they're not open to? It's so weird. So we serve people. We build bridges to them. We try to encourage them. I, I want to leave you with just five little thoughts of observation from what Paul did. And, I, and these are little vignettes that I hope you'll just take with you and post them somewhere. And think about your conversations this week. And pray that you'll have opportunity. Number one, when you're sharing your faith, please show respect for the lost. Show respect for the lost. Regardless of what their belief system. They might be mean. They might hate what you believe, but you should respect them. I respect some of you in these rooms today. Maybe you're here. You don't believe in God at all. You're just, you have questions. You have great questions. I respect you for that. I'd love to come alongside you in that journey. Our Just Looking class a couple Wednesday nights ago, we had like 50 people there with probably 30 people just saying, I have questions. And many of you here today, thank you. Keep asking those questions. Show respect for people who haven't found that yet. Number two, find the common ground. You know, when Paul said, you already have this altar, I want to tell you about the God you're already serving. He found common ground, and that's very important. You may not have common ground with some people, and you might not have any ability to really share your faith with them, because there's just nothing in common. Number three, never compromise the truth. 
one of the things that people do to try to build a bridge sometimes is they kind of let everything slide. And it doesn't mean that you have you, you create conflict in every sentence someone says, but you might say nothing. But when it really boils down to it, you can't compromise the absolutes of Scripture to to let someone believe they're you know be led to believe that they're on the right track with with who God really is. Number four, embrace all in your realm of influence. Embrace the people that you influence. All of us influence different people. You have friends I'll never know, never meet, never be around. You have neighbors I'll never live next to. But you do. I, I just want you to ask, answer this question. How many, how many um, neighborhoods in northern Colorado do you think are represented by Timberline Church, all of our campuses, in all of our services? Is it more than one neighborhood? More than ten? Hundreds? Yes. That's a lot of influence. If we just do our little world, we just, if we're just paying attention, our antennas up at the sensitivity of God of how to pray, how to meet needs. Okay, how about this? How many occupations do you think are represented at Timberline? More than one? Hundreds? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of common ground here. And so that, that is a wonderful powerful thought of how about age i bet you every year is represented on a weekend in this church how about i ask this um i asked this during a missions convention a few years ago some of you might remember i said how many of you in business travel to other other countries how many of you do and 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 you actually have friends there you've made Relationships, some of you have drivers, you have business people, and, and you know them, and you're with them repetitively, and they don't share your faith. You know, when I ask in all the services, and I had them list the countries, we had a list of 81 countries in the world that our business people from Timberline campuses go to regularly and continually. That's the world right here, right here. Use your realm of influence. It's not about you just saying, well, I don't know what's going over there. Well, Pray for the thing that's happening right in your neighborhood. Last thing, leave the results to God. Never be proud in a, an arrogant way that you, quote, led somebody to Christ. Oh, guess what happened to me last week? Guess what I did? It's not a notch in your gun. Um, that's horrible. Matter of fact, I would say it this way. No one ever leads anybody to Christ. What? <laughs> no one ever leads anybody to Christ. You, you can be used to facilitate the meeting between God and a person. And that's wonderful. But unless the Spirit draws someone to the Lord, they don't have a chance of having a renewed mind. And the Spirit is drawing people constantly. It's up to us to discern how and when and who to invite them to take that next step and to faith toward God. Let's pray. I want you right now with heads bowed to think about people in your neighborhood, your workplace, your family. This could be family members that just don't believe like you do. And instead of right now us praying for our needs like we normally do, I want you to pray for them. Go ahead, start praying for them.
We lift them to you, Lord. We love them and we care about them. I want you to continue to pray for them throughout this week and look for opportunities to bump into them. But I want to pray for two things. Some of you who need to care more for others. You just Your life is so me-focused right now, and you didn't even know it till right now, and the Spirit is bringing a good conviction to say, wow, I can't just make my life about me. I need to care about others. I need to see others. I'm walking right by them. Lord, put that in our hearts as a church, to be others-centered, others-focused. The last thing I want to pray for are, are those of you that are waiting. You're waiting on an answer. You're waiting on a diagnosis. You're waiting on a person. You're waiting. You know you're waiting, and you haven't really thought all this could happen while you were waiting. Could I pray for you? Would you just slip up a hand and say, I feel like I'm waiting. Thank you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who just are waiting. And it's, a, it's so interesting in their life right now. But they might not view this as a season of great opportunity. But let them see the opportunities that are right there in front of them. Like we've learned about today from Paul. And if anyone is separated from you in this room right now, Lord, may they pray with me. Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. Use my life. I trust you as the Son of God. And I need you in my life. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for its truth. We stand on it. May we be effective in sharing this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.